You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to the Pride of Detroit POD cast, prideofdetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook, twitch.tv slash Pride of Detroit, which will go a lot sooner in these intros of mine. I apologize right off the head, um, right off the top, not the head. You can tell I am being the adequate host, Chris Perfett, at Chris Perfett on Twitter. Uh, my brain is very scagged out today. So as always, I will be like the least man here and looking to my co-host to do a lot of the heavy liftings that shouldn't dissuade you because they do a lot of good work here. We'll get to them in a second. Download the POD cast. Twitch. I mean, wait, not Twitch. <laughs> Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, wherever you get podcasts. I'm, I got woken up by a butt dial at 5 a.m. and I did not go back to sleep. And the, uh, and the waffles I made are causing me to, uh, to trip a little bit. And I don't know why. So anyway, uh, let's get to um, a man who is annoying me a lot right now. Jeremy Reisman, the fearless leader at Detroit Online. If you are watching live on Twitch or catching the replay on Twitch or YouTube, your turb, as he calls it, uh, Jeremy is annoying me because he just got a new jersey in the mail and his logic for it is very tortured. So hello, Jeremy. And can you explain to the people what you are wearing that is partially obscured by your green screen? Um, yeah, this is my new jersey that I ordered on uh, like February 16th, 17th. I don't know, whatever night of the Super Bowl was right after it finished. It's my uh, it's my Matthew Stafford Super Bowl patched jersey. My first jersey I've ever owned by a non-Detroit Lion. Um, and yeah, like I know I know this is going to get a reaction. It's not why I got it. I'm not trying to be provocative and get a reaction out of people. I, I legitimately wanted a Matthew Stafford Jersey, but I, I want to tell people like this, this is also a peace offering. Like if you're a Matthew Stafford fan, you got a Matthew Stafford Jersey. Awesome. If you're like, Hey, move on from Matthew Stafford, you jerk. Well, as is Canon, as everyone that, that has followed pride of Detroit or this podcast or the site or, or me, I have a Jersey curse. Every player that I have gotten has either gotten injured or just fallen completely off the map. You can go like Delmas got injured. Uh, I had a thing with linebackers. So DeAndre Levy quit like six months after I, uh, I got his Jersey. Um, I got a Jared Davis Jersey gifted to me, which I can actually wear again. Now, I guess he's got the same number. Um, wasn't my choice for the, for the record and goes even further back than that. And so if I, if, if I, if I have cursed Matthew Stafford, then guess what Detroit Lions fans, your second first round pick, or maybe, maybe it'll be the first first round pick next year. If, if he's that cursed, I just improved the Lions draft pick next year. So you're welcome. Jeremy says he's not looking for reaction to react to his 
needless provocation of which he spent way too much time explaining it, we go to our uh, expert, Ryan Matthews. Back is the rock guy. At Ryan underscore POD. Ryan, what is your comment here? Uh, the first non-Lions jersey that I owned was a 2X Dante Culpepper home jersey that uh, I purchased when I was in middle school. So it almost went down to my knees, but I somehow convinced my dad that, yeah, that would be practical uh, for me to wear in middle school. I tucked it into my shorts is what I would actually do. So that's the move. Um, that's the move. I, I had I had a sense of fashion that was far beyond uh, 2005. So let's just let's just leave it at that. But I think that was a very two thousand. That's 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 a very two thousand and five statement. That is the year of Jimco jeans and everything. So I mean, everything was baggy, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we were all looking for extreme comfort. I I think that's what this podcast is here for—to be extremely baggy and comforting. The 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 Pride of Detroit POD cast, the Jimco jeans of podcasts. I can I can hear the wallet chain rattling around right now. As the wallet we, chain as rattling around and the reviews coming in being like these guys BS too much. Uh, let's start. We have our big we have a big topic coming up here on the show today. We have to talk about the biggest questions facing the Detroit Lions. We've all brought something as we stay here waiting for something to happen in this offseason because Jeremy OTAs are down the pike here which yeah. means it's all about practice, man. They, they technically start on Tuesday. Um, it, it's 10, a session of 10 practices. And the reason why it's a big deal is it, it's more like football. A lot of what they've been doing with their off-season activities have just been individual drills. This is the first time everyone is together and doing football-like stuff. They still don't have shoulder pads on. They still aren't fully dressed and all that sort of stuff, but it, it, it's going to resemble football. And more importantly, rookies... Veterans are all together, and uh, the media will get a look at one of those practices per week. So we'll get three sessions unless they cancel the last week of OTAs, which they did last year. And it's something that more teams are doing. Um, so, yeah, it, it's going to be an opportunity to to see the Lions in their most 2022 Lions-like form that we have so far. And and that's, you know, in, in an offseason in which there's probably not too much going to happen in the next two and a half months, that's relatively exciting. Yeah, and it's not all bad news, right? Because at least the Lions aren't one of those teams that has a, uh, a star player that is voluntarily skipping OTAs, like a you know a Debo Samuel, who sure apparently might might have been a Lion if uh, if Brad Holmes had anteed up. But like, I, I think the thing that I'm most excited about for OTAs, though, like players that I'll be paying attention to. Jeremy, do you think there's even an outside shot that Jeff Okuda might be on the field for OTAs? I think it, it depends on what your definition of on the field is, because as, as I'm sure a lot of people saw last week, he was on the field um, according to photos, but of course, photos don't tell you how much movement is happening and, and how much he's participating in. It seems like a lot of the the catches that he was making in those photos was kind of from a stationary stance. So um, do I think there's a chance like he's close to a full participant? I don't think so, but I think he'll probably be out there just for, you know, camaraderie's sake. It, it, it's a it's a big event for um, the team getting together and kind of getting in that mode of, of working side by side and and chemistry and, and and getting to know the playbook and all that. So I think he'll be out there, but it's definitely a huge question and maybe maybe one of my biggest questions too. I think it's it's OTAs is a little fascinating because we do have some workout warriors on the Lions, partly because 
I think Panay Sewell and Jamal Williams are good for like one or two like insane moments from practice where they're just going way too hard for very different reasons for both of them. Jamal Williams, definitely a lot more kind of like in your face and either way, it's going to make for good bait that we will, we might not get to see it, but it will definitely show up probably on hard knocks at some point, which is coming, coming down the pike soon. That'll give us something for the off season. I am very interested though, with a lot of the wide receivers, uh, a, because again, workout warrior and Amon Ross St. Brown, I think there's some big questions about, what he's going to do in year two, what he's going to look like. And I, I know we've got a question in the mailbag coming up about Amon Ross St. Browns. So we'll save more for that. But you guys mentioned Jeff Okuda. This is when JMO wants to be here. This is when Jamison Williams wants to be, he wants to be back ready for, you know, training. I don't know how much we'll really see of him here, but uh, you know, he's posing. He's he's uh, there's a new meme flying around about JMO got the blank. And I don't know. I it's, it's a, I, I mean, I, I, the point is great that we went from a very shallow wide receiver room at the start of last year to a very deep one this year. And I'm just fascinated to see how that competition is going to play out. I know it's kind of stayed to say you want to see a wide receiver competition, but this room is deep, Ryan. There's a lot. There's a lot here. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot to be interested in the wide receiver room. I think the new faces, um, you know, especially DJ shark. I think that'll be a, an interesting first um, look. Yeah. First look and, and seeing him, he seems to be a guy like if you're following DJ shark on Instagram, like he seems to be a guy who completely embodies what this coaching staff wants, because that guy is always posting about football. Like it, it might, it might not be lines related. Football, it, football, might, football. It, it might be something that's related to his time at Louisiana state, but he's always just like, you know, chumming it up about, you know, football, this football, that the guy seems like he's, he's super invested. I'm as far as the wide receiver room goes, I think I'm most interested to see uh, the new faces. Um, I I mean, JMO probably Jeremy in a a similar situation to Jeff Okuda, like he'll be there, but he won't be doing anything. Yeah. And I think there's almost no chance he's doing anything. Like we saw him, he was there at rookie mini camp. He's trying to get back for, for training camp proper and, 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 late july august but um, he's there with a clipboard in hand right he's exactly there learning, yep, right. learning install and all that stuff so and and just to go back to chark for a second he's also coming off an injury right like he right he he's going to be chopping at the bit to be out there we have to see what he looks like now when we last talked to him it sounded like he was close to 100 but um i think yeah i think just like the whole injury stuff too like that i i want to see where where romeo quara is at is he going to be there is he going to show up maybe later for for mandatory minicamp a, a couple weeks down the pike um, you know, we, Jerry Jacobs said a couple weeks ago on Twitter, you know, I'm going to be back sooner than you think. Is, is it possible he's back from an ACL right now? I, I mean, it, he got injured what in de- early December. Seems like it's probably a little early for that, but not completely out of the question. Um, so yeah, I think, I think just getting an update on some of these injuries to James Mitchell, a guy who, who basically said on draft night that he seemed like he was ready to go, um, but didn't do anything at rookie minicamp. Are they going to give him his first taste here or, uh, wait a couple weeks and and maybe just save him for training camp. Those, those to me, like in terms of the players I'm paying attention to, it's kind of just like the injury guys. I, w- I want to see where they're at in the rehab because that, I mean, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but that's also one of the biggest questions facing this entire team this year is, is where they are in terms of some major injuries they suffered last year. I'm going to say Josh Pascal, I think had an injury as well last year as well coming out of college. Um, yeah, he did. Yeah, he did play at rookie minicamp. So I, I think he's probably farther along than. Yeah, yeah. for sure. 
So it's, 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 it's fascinating. I, how much of it, like, why, why do you think that final week gets canceled? That's very fascinating to me. Is that just kind of like just a scrimp? The teams don't want to like put the stuff in front of the, the media. I get that. They treat it like state secrets. I don't think it's that. I th- do I think you think it, it was COVID last year, just like kind of COVID concerns and everything? Or? I think it's more honestly of a, a reward to the players. Like if they, they're, they're probably just told like, you guys work your ass off for this and we're in mandatory mini camp in the mid, like we'll, we'll get rid of that last week. Yeah. It just so happens to be that's the week that media can show up. No, no, no. We get one per week. Oh, one per week. Okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll get one this week. We'll get one next week. We'll get three in, during mandatory minicamp week. And then there's that last week where they typically mm. cancel. And so we'll miss out on one of those. I'm really curious to see what they throw in hard knocks from all this too. Like there's going to be plenty of Jamal Williams just doing something and getting someone's yeah, face. That's, that's actually kind of <laughs> interesting because I don't know when hard knocks officially shows up. I don't know if they do OTA stuff. I think they usually just say not. I think they mostly just do training camp stuff, but I, I know they also like to get in the building early so that they can start developing some storylines. Right. So. It's going to take some time on editing and hard knocks itself starts in like what July, I think. Uh, August. Yeah. They, like oh, they August. start, they start okay. like the first episode airs after training camp has already gone by. Um, it's most, it's mostly just about training camp, but, but like I said, like they need to, they probably need some stock footage as well yeah, too, exactly. for like B-roll and everything too. Like, then this stuff takes time on editing. Like I'm, I'm always amazed at how fast hard knocks kind of turns everything around just given kind of the workflow and editing and everything else. So I, I'm imagining they're going to want some like stuff they can pass off as like training camp, but was filmed at OTAs. Yeah. I, to, to, to bring it back to, to OTAs, I think one of the things that I'm most interested in hearing about is like how involved Ben Johnson is. You know, yeah, um, not not especially that especially with Dan Campbell taking over play calling in the middle of last year too. Like, is that going to continue, or is how much gets handed off to Ben Johnson? But yeah, continue, Ryan. Yeah, and I, I was going to say, I mean, there's no way you're going to be able to glean whether or not you know Campbell's calling plays or Ben Johnson's calling plays. But I think that you can get an idea of just how involved he is in the process. And I think that that would be um, something to, to keep an eye on as far as, you know, coaching staff goes, because I mean, for the most part, a lot of it's, you know, the, the same faces, um, some of them in new places, like with Kelvin Shepard, you know, moving to the, the inside linebacker role. But um, yeah, I, I, I think that that'll just be something that I'll, I'll be tuned into is like, what, what's Ben Johnson doing out there? Like how involved is he? Like what, what's got, what's, you know, what's he going on? What, you know, what, what is he stirring the pot with? And, and what's since those... in the past, we've seen this Lions coaching staff very hands-on with a lot of players. Sure. Very hands-on. Yeah. And, and I think also the question is we, we've, we've heard kind of tidbits throughout the entire offseason about the offense looking a lot different, right? Amon Ross says the verbiage is completely different. There's very little carryover from last year. So, I mean, I don't know how much lines are going to show us publicly that they, I'm sure they're going to keep things pretty vanilla. And I'm sure they're also very early in the, in, in the install phase. Like there's, they're, they're not that deep into the playbook yet, but are they, are we going to see more up-tempo like, like Dan Campbell talked about? Are we going to see the wide receivers move around from, you know, the X receiver to the wide receiver, to, to the slot, to, to the backfield? How, how much of, of that are we all going to see kind of mixing and matching um, is, is definitely, again, a, a big thing on the docket and same thing on the defensive side of the ball, right? Like we're more four down front. So what does that mean for this linebacking core? Who's going to be playing inside linebacker? Who's going to be playing in the edge? Who's going to be, um, is, is Josh Pascal going to slide in uh, defensive tackle on, on certain downs, certain packages? 
who's going to be the starting safety right away. Like there's, there's a, there's so much to that. And that to me, honestly, that might be the biggest takeaway I, I typically get from OTAs is just where the depth chart is right now. And that doesn't obviously where it is in, in July or, um, you know, May, whatever month we're in, um, it's not going to be the same as, as, as it is in September, but right now, who is, who, who is, is it, is your safety next to Tracy Walker right now? Who is it? Who do you guys think it is? I, I mean, Will Harris? Is, is it Deshaun Elliott? It might be Deshaun Elliott. Probably Elliott. I don't know. I, I agree though, Jeremy, like it, it'll be interesting to see like where players are lining up. I think for me, the, the thing that I would be, and it, it's too early, right? Like OTAs are, I mean, they're, they're too early to, to truly like take anything for certain from, right. right. But I, I think the one thing last year that was most concerning, right. Was how bad the offense looked in training camp. Sure. I, that, that was the big takeaway. Like every single day it was like, yeah, the defense looked good, but it, probably was because the offense was really bad and you know in OTAs like you said though Jeremy like they're starting from essentially what seems like the ground up like rebuilding everything installing a new offense with new verbiage and stuff so like how far along do they seem like I think that's something to you know hey we can we can mark this on the progress report and say like they're this far along you know I I I just hope that it's not a situation where the Lions offense looks as far behind schedule as it did (laughs) last year in training camp yeah, it's, it's one of those, we, we get this every year, right? The chicken and egg situation of, you know, your offense is playing your defense. And it just, one's going to look good at the expense of the other sometimes. Uh, let's take a quick break. We have a lot of questions and we are going to do that. We are in the off season. So we're kind of getting more, um, let's say conceptual with our questions. And this is big questions facing the Lions. Biggest questions facing the Lions. We each have one. We will throw them out there to each other and discuss them next on the Pride of Detroit PODcast. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back to the Pride of Detroit PODcast, prideofdetroit.com. Had an extended break here where uh, we made ourselves incredibly hungry talking about food. Like about 100 food-related topics. 
So we are all now wearing also different shirts and masks and all kinds of stuff. And you can be part of it all on twitch.tv slash pride of Detroit every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern. When we record live and join the pre-show at, at twitch.tv slash no decaf, N-O-D-E-K-A-F at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, let's get back into it. We have here topics we have lined up, but these are the biggest questions facing the Lions this year. Each of us has one. We're going to discuss them in length. It's part of an off-season series as we kind of get more into conversation topics because uh, the actual news is slowing down a bit as we wait for OTAs. So, Ryan, we wanted to start with you. What is your biggest question facing the Detroit Lions this year? So I tried to look inward and I tried to find something that interests me or something that really, um, you know, caught my attention. And I was trying to think about like, oh, like position battles and training camp or, you know, a certain unit on either offense or defense. And I'm sorry, but the only thing that I can think about when it comes to the Detroit Lions right now is whether or not they are going to live up to the expectations that seemingly everybody has established for them from your heaviest Kool-Aid drinking fan to the national media. Yeah. Like, will the Detroit Lions be able to live up to the hype that they have generated over the past? I mean, it, it seems like the train hasn't really stopped since the season ended, right? Like the win over the Packers seemed like that was the train, um, you know, after it had left the station, because I, I think the Cardinals win was, was something that really helped it gain steam. Right. But as soon as the season ended, like the train was just humming along and then the draft happened and it was full steam ahead. People were flinging coal into that steam engine, like trade up helped yeah. a lot. Yeah. I, 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 we talked about optimism, I think at a podcast where you weren't here, Ryan, but I think I mentioned too, and you'd appreciate this as a gambling guy as uh, the Bovada King himself. Um, the fact that the lions win total for the season is double what their win record was last year is already pretty remarkable, even from like supposed to be a calm, rational, like gambling aspect right there. And then, yeah, the Mina Kimes effect hits and suddenly everyone's talking about the Lions because I, I just don't think that everyone's, everyone's kind of tired of seeing the Lions kind of be down like this. And yeah, Dan Campbell was kind of a bit of like, it, it, it had its detractors at the start, but like people, I think, all what we talked about last year about like, hey, we like what the Lions are building here. It's going to take some time, but we like the philosophy. That's kind of turned into now just full on hype. And yeah, the trade up, I think helped a lot of things, moved a lot of things along. And like people got excited that they got a high powered we weapon like Jamison Williams. And yeah, it's, it's a lot on the plate for the lions. It's a lot on the plate. It's, it's a down NFC. It's a very down division. And I don't, I, I don't know. Like we, we went over the schedule. They have an easy, they have like a, objectively easy schedule favorable by schedule. favorable is the <laughs> favorable word I was looking for. Let's, let's go with yeah. favorable. Like, yeah, everything is kind of lined up well for the hype to just go off the rails for the lions. And I think that triggers Jeremy in every lions fan an instinct of like, Oh no, what could go wrong here? 
Be- sure. Because because Jeremy, the question is that I want you to answer is, is like when was the last time that a Detroit Lions football team had such increased expectations from one year to the next? Twenty fifth was. I feel like it's been a while. Twenty fifteen, where we crashed on our heads. Twenty thirteen, going into twenty fourteen, maybe I don't. <clears throat> it it feels like it's been a while, and I, I, you could say there was some of that honestly going into 2018 like a nine and seven Lions team under Jim Caldwell going into 2018 with or yeah 2018 Matt with Matt Patricia you know oh Patriot way is going to come here we're going to go from nine we're going to hit that next level but it, and that took off when the Patriots game happened too when they beat <clears throat> the Patriots on Sunday night football sure yeah um but but this does feel a little bit different because it's it's been building for a while like you said, it, it really does go back to, to the end of last year. Um, a lot of the early compliments are, I like what the lines are building. My concern is those have turned into just the lines might be good. Like expectations have skyrocketed where it's like, this team could be good in a couple of years to this team might be good now, period. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that to me is, is where I'm like, okay, we need to slow down a little bit here because, and, and, you know, it, it continued this week, right? You know, Peter King came in, put the lines 20th on his power rankings, which it's not huge, but it's, you look at most power rankings right now, they have the lines in the bottom five because they finished in the bottom five. And Brian Baldinger says, if the lines put something together, they might be playing it meaningful games in December. Um, who was the third? Warren Sharp, um, the guy who, who does all the analytics with the schedule, picked them as, as a potential sleeper to win the division. To me, I, th- I think this question, all these expectations boil down to what what can the Lions do to either live up or fail to live up to these expectations right now? Because to me, I still think my expectations is this team is going to win between six and nine games. Nice. And I, I feel like with all of these increase, all of this hype, like a lot of people might view a six or seven win season as, as a failure, which I feel like we have to reset the table and be like, that's not a failure, right? Now. That would be no, way ahead in the. It's still way ahead in the rebuild. Yeah, I, I, I know. I mean, even even just like looking at a, a objectively, three wins to seven wins, and I know a lot of people say, "Well, this team was better than three wins last year," and I would argue that's maybe true, but not really necessarily true. Still, so you're doubling your win total from right. last year. That's what I'm saying. Right. And so that that to me is an accomplishment. I don't think this team is really ready to contend as a true contender maybe as a seven seed in, in a wild card race, which we saw last year, seven seeds are not very good. Um, but yeah, that, that to me is like, I don't, I don't think the, I'm, I'm afraid the lines won't be able to even live up to this hype because we have pushed them a little bit too far into, wow, this team is good already. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I have, I think I have a reason for why people are overvaluing or like changing the value of the lions, even though they won three games, it's kind of dovetailing into my big question. And I, I hate to go here. I hate to go here. Cause I'm like, you know, maybe it's a matter of what the running backs are going to look like, but every time, and you know, maybe I could come up with some questions for the, for the defense, but I'm sorry. Every time I sit here and I think about the biggest questions facing the lions, and I'm sure it's something we've talked about before, and it's a question I just got asked when I was doing, um, you know, when when I was doing another podcast. Like it, it. My question is, what is Jared Goff? What is Jared Goff right now? Yeah. Like, and as I said on the other, uh, as I as I have said before, and I will keep saying again, Jared Goff really has no excuse this year. 
If his excuse last year was Anthony Lynn, okay, great. Anthony Lynn is gone. If your excuse last year was he didn't, he wasn't comfortable with any of the wide receivers, they were bad wide receivers, great. The Lions massively up, upgraded their wide receiver room. If the question was, well, it was injuries to the offensive line, okay, great. Well, right now everyone's healthy as they should be. If if the like what what's what's the what is the there there's no way for Jared Goff to really have an excuse for poor performance going into 2022. And we saw plenty of reasons why Jared Goff isn't the 2020 Jared Goff, but he also isn't like old first year vintage Jared Goff humming incredibly well in the system with, with, with uh, Sean McVay. And I understand that maybe Jared Goff probably can never be that top flight quarterback, but we've seen teams succeed with not top, top flight quarterbacks. And if Jared Goff can play up to what he's played at his height, then I don't understand, you know, what, what could really stop him from doing that here too. And again, there's no, like, I, I hate, I hate this. I, I, I've, it's become my biggest pet peeve breaking a team down, especially since, you know, national sports talk always does it. It breaking a, a team down to just focus an offense to just its quarterback. It's more than just its quarterback, but the biggest question mark on this offense, I mean, and again, running backs are pretty close behind it, but what is the excuse right now? If Jared Goff comes out here and plays poorly to start the year, because he's had time with, with Ben Johnson. He's had time with Dan Campbell calling plays. He's had time with his offensive line. He's, he's understanding what the receivers are right now. And if the Lions offense doesn't want to, because I think we all understand, I think our expectations for the de- offense right now are higher than they are for, for the defense, just on the matter of just talent is there on the offense. So what is, what is Jared Goff? That's it's- my big question. It's the biggest question maybe of the entire team, honestly, like it's, it's fascinating. And this is, this is the biggest year of Jared Goff's career. There's, there's really no question about it. And it could, it could be the start to a revitalization of his career. It could be essentially the last time he's a starter in the NFL. Like that's how pivotal this season is for him. And you have to wonder how he's going to react to those stakes the biggest stakes. Is he going to live up to the moment and become the kind of quarterback where he had back-to-back Pro Bowls in, in LA and was some people, I mean, he got that huge contract for a reason in LA. He was yeah, playing I, well. I, people, people diminish him down to like, I think there's been some revisionism on him a little bit. Sure. Like, I don't like the argument that Jared Goff took the Rams to a Super Bowl. But at the same time, there's been you mentioned the Pro Bowls, and there's been some revisionism that all Jared Goff was was a sock puppet for Sean McVay. I don't think that's true either. It's not. And, and really the difference between that Jared Goff and the one we saw is, is the deep ball. Like this is a guy who averaged like 8.6 yards per attempt with the Rams, which is I think fifth in the league. And then he comes into Detroit and throws 6.7 or something like that, a full two yards less per attempt and moves from the top of the bottom five of the league to bottom uh, top of the five to bottom five. So clearly there's, there's something going on and some of it has to do with supporting cast. Some of it maybe has to do with, with coaching butting heads a little bit. I, I tend to think that's a little bit overplayed in Detroit and, and, and as an excuse for Jared Goff, some of it is offensive line play. But like you said, we have eliminated all of the possible excuses for Jared Goff. So if he can't jump back to this deep ball guy that he was, I mean, he was, he was slinging it. He he's got deep the best ball threats league, too. But he, he's got, he's got deep ball threats and he's, he's proven he can be accurate at those types of throws. So 
if he doesn't jump back to it and, and maybe it's not fair in year one, quote unquote, year one under Ben Johnson, but he has to like, this is it because lines have two first round picks next year. They're going to go get a quarterback if he doesn't jump in and, and, and figure something out. So yeah, huge question facing this team. And, and maybe, maybe one of the biggest storylines we, we follow all of, all of 2022. No, it's, it, it's with, out a doubt the biggest question mark I think facing the season in terms of an individual player because like like you said both you guys I this is the make or break year for Jared Goff like if Jared Goff can't get it done this season I agree with Jeremy like it could be the season that marks his end as a starter from day one I, I think maybe you start to I think I think Jared Goff gets relegated to to a clipboard guy pretty quickly um, or maybe another I, Band-Aid somewhere else. I, I, I He's going to fall into that category of like Carson Wentz where, got, where he's going to just float between teams on one-year contracts as everyone hopes they can, he, they can he's fix the, them. He's the last free agent that someone trades for, or last guy that people trade for when everything else has fallen through. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, but the, the question that I have for you guys real quick to, to punctuate Chris's question is if Jared Goff doesn't perform well, provided that – you know, the offense isn't hit by a meteor in terms of injuries again, like it was a year ago, but if Jared Goff doesn't perform to expectations or it's hard to say what those expectations are. Right. Because I think yeah, some I was people are say, like, Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, what are like to just build upon that? What do you expect? What, like, I, I was thinking about this. What are expectations? What are we, what are we saying here? Like we just can't have Jared Goff throwing three interceptions a game or what? No, I, I think a lot of people are expecting this Lions offense to at least be a top half of the league offense. Right. Like, I, I think that there are some people that are rather optimistic, but I can see where they're coming from when they say the Lions could be a top 10 offense. Um, but I think top 16 is something that is very, very reasonable and something that is, as far as expectations go, I mean, do you have any problem with that, Jeremy? I think they better be top half of the league, honestly. Right. Like if, if they aren't, the reason is Jared Goff. Is Jared Goff. So that leads me to my question is, if those expectations aren't met, if the Lions aren't a top half of the league offense next year, how much do you put into question Brad Holmes if Jared Goff is the guy again in year three? Like, are is that enough to abandon ship from Brad Holmes? I don't think one move should ever be the reason to abandon ship, but that would be a very suspect move. That would Especially, be like the red flag of all right. red flags. Because then Sussy. the 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 whole reason for the Matthew Stafford trade and, and getting what it, you got in return was to pr- get his replacement eventually. And and maybe it was Jared Goff, but if if it wasn't, you have now spent all of your draft picks and not found a replacement. If if they go into 2023 with a subpar Jared Goff as a quarterback, so yeah, and. and it's the first time you can really get under out from under that contract. I think it's still 10 million in dead money, but in terms of quarterback dead money, that's essentially nothing. Right. Um, so yeah, that, that would be a big concern because you have to imagine by 2023, the rest of this roster is going to be pretty close to, to be a competitive team. And if they're just like, well, let's just run it back with Jared Goff one more time. Oh. You're wait, you're wasting a year of a lot of these guys' career who might not be able to stick around very for, for much longer. And you're probably maybe not necessarily, but you're probably transitioning to a rookie quarterback and that's not going to, you know, not many rookie quarterbacks hit the ground running. So if you're going Jared Goff, then a rookie, a rookie quarterback, suddenly we're talking about 2025 and who knows who's going to be around in 2025. Right. So they just should have drafted Malik Willis. Thank you, Jeremy. 
Okay, Jeremy, what's your big, what's the big question that's gunning down on you? Well, I definitely have to move to the defensive side of the ball and there's really a ton of questions. Um, maybe the biggest in the secondary. Um, but I feel like we've touched on, uh, you know, who's going to be starting quarterback injuries, all that sort of stuff. So I'm going to turn to something that I think is maybe a big concern. That's not being talked a lot about, and that's the run defense because it was not good last year. It was among the worst run defenses in the league. And I don't see how they've gotten better. And that to me is a huge concern because really? they sure. I mean, they, they added a couple guys on the edge, right? They, they had Josh Pascal, they had Aiden Hutchinson. Both those guys are good run defenders. But if you look at the stats, if you look at football outsiders, which, you know, they, they do directional, like where did the lines get gashed? They were actually really good off of right tackle. And I think that speaks to uh, Charles Harris, Charles Harris and, and the job he's done as a run defender. Um, yeah. left edge was not as good. And I think that also makes sense because Trey flowers is in and out of the lineup, but up the middle, they were just getting gashed all the, I think it was like 28th, 28th, 29th, like bottom five, all over the place up the middle. And, the, and we've talked about it a little bit lines did not add a defensive tackle in this draft. They did not add a linebacker until late day three. They are not great up the middle of this defense. They just aren't. And and I know there are, there are a lot of reasons that, that people are, are trying to be optimistic. It's, it's, but to me, all of that is just, you, you got to show me before I start believing. You got to show me that Levi is going to be healthy and great. And you got to show me that this attacking style of defense, which really to me feels a lot like just one of those things you throw out in the offseason to, to build up. Oh, we're going to attack the offensive now. Okay, well, what offense isn't trying to attack on, on some sort of level? Buzzword. Linebacker, Derek Barnes, you're, you're telling me he's going to turn everything around. Lee McNeil, you're a big year two jump. I know year one to year two is typically a player's biggest jump, but that it it doesn't always work out that way. Sometimes someone who struggles in year one is going to struggle in year two again. So to me, run defense and, and coming that week one game against the Eagles who ran for 200 and some yards against them last year, we're going to find out really quick how much just schematic changes in year one to year two progression has helped us lines run, run defense. Cause otherwise I think it's maybe the biggest concern on the team in terms of just, it doesn't seem like it got better. I think tying all these thir- these things together, um, like your, your, your point actually helps underscore both myself and Ryan in that, if the run defense isn't good, it means a lot of time where the defense is just going to get gashed up, stay out in the field a lot, get winded, which means they'll be giving up points, which means that the offense will look bad by comparison. Cause at the end of the day, you're just scoring less points than the other team um, and probably getting stopped. And also to Ryan's point, And I think I mentioned this on our pre-show, the Eagles Lions start the year playing the Philadelphia Eagles and they're a run heavy team. And run-heavy teams tend to start the year kind of they're, – they're still feeling out their, their rhythm at that point. And I think a lot of the hype on the Lions will die on the vine very quickly if they just get absolutely just de- destroyed by the Eagles again. So that, that's, that's all I really have there. Like, they, they've invested so much in this line, Jeremy, for them not to be good on the run – Stopping the run feels like I we, we've given a lot of attention to problems with the defensive coverage, but yeah, if they can't stop the run either, I, I think we uh, we assume they're not going to be great stopping the pass. But we, if they can't stop the run either, then uh, but 
they, they've made investments there, right? They, they yes. get a pass rusher in Aiden Hutchinson. They, they get more corners. You, you get Jeff Okuda back potentially. And there there's, I feel like there's more reasons for optimism progressing as a pass defense. I don't see them. At, I don't see those same signs for the run defense. So a, a couple, a couple of things that I just want to know, right. Is that the lions spent draft capital, both in Brad Holmes first draft and second draft to improve the defensive line. And I think that you can, you can view all four of those picks, Levi, Aleem, Aiden, and Pascal. I think you can view all those guys as projected plus run defenders. Like those guys should, should be a, a, a worthwhile. I mean, Michael Brockers, you know, somebody who really did not show up in terms of, you know, stopping the run or really being a pass rusher. Like it seemed like more harm, than good was being done with Michael Brockers on the field. Right. So to that point, Jeremy, like, yeah, I mean, Brad Holmes has invested in this position being a pro a proficient unit, but I think my question to you back is, I, I know you said buzzword when it comes to switching from a three, four to a four, three, but which, which tangible change have the lions made this off season that gives you the most optimism. I know, I know you're not optimistic about it really at all, but like, would it be the schematic change or would it be some of the players that they've invested in? Because I mean, maybe Josh Pascal kicks in and plays a five tech and, and maybe you see some of the residuals of a, a more solidified uh, interior presence, um, you know, with I, some of the additions. So like personnel or scheme change, like which one, are you more optimistic about probably personnel because again the the year two jump is is a real thing and anytime you bring up the, the schematic changes on defense lines coaches first reaction is the same it's it's like an eye roll it's like you guys are making way too much out of this right we were four base a lot towards the end of the season and listen they weren't good at defending the run towards the end of the season either like they For got sure. rolled over by the seahawks and and uh, you know, all, Broncos, I think ran, Broncos ran all over them. Yeah. That was um, also the flu game. So. Sure. Th- th- yeah. There's a lot of asterisks with, sure. with a lot of Lions games last year, but yeah, yeah I, I think, I think if, if the Lions run, de- I, someone in the chat made this point and I think it's, it's right. If the Lions run defense isn't at least a little bit better, I think it's, it's a big red mark on Holmes's record because because like you said, like they, they've invested a lot in this defensive front, not so much in the linebacking core, but. But that's my question. Like, that's my question because Mark DeLeon just kind of, sure. you know, falls by the wayside, like yeah. very quietly, yep. like very quietly, he exits stage left. Yep. And a big part of your run defense is that second line of defense. It's a lot of the linebackers and you know who the top two linebackers were in terms of missed tackle percentage last year, it was Alex Anzalone and it was Jalen Reese Maven. One of those guys is coming back and he's penciled in as your starter. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and the other guy replacing him is, you know, Derek Barnes. Like, I, you know, I, I mean, is that why they're maybe counting on a guy like Chris board who might be a more sure tackler? Is that, you know, why they're counting on, Hey, we'll go get Malcolm Rodriguez because the guy racks up 400 tackles in in five seasons at Oklahoma State. Like, it, is is that the move? It, I mean, if it all comes <laughs> together as as we've been hyping it to, where the defensive front is being more aggressive, more attacking, and it's freeing up the linebackers, then yeah, like it could theoretically all come together and work. It's just to me, I I, I don't know. Like, 
a lot of that feels like off-season noise. And 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 not saying like there isn't a difference between a three-four and an attacking front versus a, a, a gap, you know, uh, sound offense, but or defense. But I don't know. And t- I just it feels almost like the, the the kind of buzzworthy, like he's in the best shape of his life thing. Like, oh yeah, we we've changed what we're doing here, and it's suddenly it's going to be good. I need to see Dude, it first, and I four, just, I don't buy it. Switching to four three three four to four three and back again is like one of the oldest tricks in like the sports talk radio book, right? Right. Like it's one of the oldest call in topics. It just it's 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 red meat. I. On the topic of linebackers, I do feel like looking at who the Lions have been signing and getting in the draft too. It does feel like I don't want to make too much out of it because obviously you want you want an f- efficient linebacker core no matter what. But feels like they're just hoping that whoever they have is going to make those tackles before they get into the second level when it comes to run defense. Just so we'll see. Um, yeah, but those are our three points. Uh, overall hype. Jared Goff and run defense. Biggest questions surrounding the Detroit Lions. There's there's plenty more. I had like half a dozen other things written down here. As I said, I'm really curious what the run game is, Jeremy. Because um, like I think we were just kind of just sitting here and assuming DeAndre Swift will turn it on for this year. But I mean, you're, you're him, Mr. Oh, running him, back him, hater. So him along with about a dozen other people. I'm health is like another big story. Yeah. DeAndre Swift hasn't stayed healthy. TJ Hawkinson hasn't stayed healthy. His contract's coming up for TJ too. Like he's got to learn not to go, uh, not to flip. (laughs) I think, I think he learned that lesson. We'll see if he did. (laughs) Anyway, we're, we're overdue. We got to get to break here. Uh, we got a mailbag coming up. We haven't done a mailbag in a little bit, so we'll turn it over to Ryan to, uh, read the mailbag to us and we'll answer questions when we come back on the Friday Detroit POD cast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mail time, hashtag AskPOD, as always, to get your questions in. We're splitting up the mailbag a little bit because Jeremy has started to cannibalize it for his written stuff as well. So, um, But it's back this week. It's usually It usually pops in every now and then because we need things to talk about. So Ryan has been officially named the, uh, you know what? I'm not going to do it anymore. I think, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Yeah. I didn't do it this time, Ryan. I didn't. You can't get mad at me. Uh, that's fine. I will be the one asking the questions here. Um, so let's start with, and I have to do this just because uh, we we had draft B for some reason, but Ashley David Soden at Sodenad on Twitter asks, as much as we'd love to keep all of our guest coach or all of our great coaches, it's inevitable that some will move on to bigger posts aside from the big names of AG, AP and Ben J not doing his acronym for obvious reasons. It's not an ac- acronym you're looking for. It's an initialism. There's a difference. Oh, uh, no, I'm sorry. I just want to be that person. Uh, I want to continue our beef. This is all storyline. Shows violence uh, today. Who else on our staff do you think are likely promotions elsewhere? So aside from Aaron Glenn, aside from Aubrey Pleasant, aside from Ben Johnson, who else on our staff do you think are likely promotions elsewhere? And I think that there's one various obvious one, right, Jeremy? Yeah, that's Deuce Staley, right? Yeah. Already an assistant head coach. So at some point you imagine he is he's being... I feel like he'd be the first one gone. Maybe. I mean, Aaron, Aaron Glenn, Glenn has obviously got yeah. the, the, the most um, opportunities so far. So he's probably the first to go, but Deuce Staley shouldn't be far behind. I mean, he's basically what Dane Campbell was in new Orleans, which is being groomed to, to be that head coach. It's interesting that he hasn't gotten the opportunities yet. Um, but I do imagine those are on the corner, but I, I think I, maybe it's fair to throw his name out too. And, and cause this is more of a question of just where's the depth in terms of this, this offensive line and in terms of people who could raise up the ranks and, I don't know. Do you, do you guys have a, a name that jumps out? I, I have a, I, a couple, maybe I, I've got one more, but it's not, I, I think, I think Deuce is a good one there. Just again, like I, I know the reasons why, obviously he's not a, um, like the trend now is you're looking for a coordinator to become, you know, uh, right. Hired somewhere. And I mean, I don't know, maybe Deuce gets hired as a coordinator, but he seems more on that assistant coach track. Um, I'm going to move this to the front office though. Cause I know that mm. we had the NFL coach and front office accelerator program. Uh, week, yeah. next next week and there's only two names from the lions on there um aaron glenn not surprising but then also assistant general manager ray agnew sure so i think he's probably up for there if the, if the lions obviously this is contingent on the lions drafting well and proving their growth but i feel like if they if the front office will start to get accolades if the lions really do turn things around because People will say like, wow, look at what, you know, Brad Holmes did. Look at how they turned things around. I want some of that, you know, college scouting magic that, that they've, that they've gotten from there. Maybe they could go to the Rams for that. But I feel like if Ray Agnew's on that list to go to the accelerator program that, you know, he's probably a name I'd throw up on there. That's, I, that's an interesting one. I, I wouldn't have thought of him because yeah, 
it's a good point. He's at the accelerator program for a reason. He definitely wants to be a general manager. Obviously, with, with Los Angeles, he's mostly on the pro personnel side, but I think Brad Holmes has already said, like, we want to make him a more well-rounded guy. So in the past two years, you have to imagine. He was a director of pro, of pro scouting, I think, in 2017 as well. Right, so, right. so he's been mostly on the pro side, but he, he's had a lot of years as a scout. He, he definitely has gotten more experience on the college side, um, you know, while he's been here in Detroit. So I think that's that's an interesting answer. Um, the the one I – there's a couple I want to throw out. I mean, Todd Wash has already been a defensive coordinator – in this league. So I think there's yeah. definitely an opportunity for him to, to jump back and do that, especially if we see that defensive line, take a big jump with, with the new tools they have there. Um, I think I'll save the other one for the next question because that is also coaching related. And I want to talk about a rising star in the coaching staff that I uh, I've talked about a couple of times before. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, I, I guess as appointed sack master, I will move on. Um, but I'm going to, I'm going to flip it to Chris Cole. What does Deandre Swift need to do this season to earn a second contract? I think this is a really fascinating question because I don't think that there's anything that Deandre Swift can do to get Jeremy on board (laughs) with bringing him back on a second contract. And I don't mean that as a, I don't mean that as a a knock on Deandre Swift. Like I I think that's, it's a position question, Jeremy. Like it's not, it's not a talent because like you look around the league, right. And what running backs on second contracts are, are, are hitting it big are making it's, their teams look incredibly like, you know, incredibly smart for making that move. It's the big question. I mean, that's kind of like what went into a lot of the Debo Samuel discussion. Like it's kind of, it kind of mirrors what happened with Jimmy Graham, like about 10 years ago, Jimmy Graham didn't want to be paid as a tight end because tight end money hadn't caught up and, now Debo, he wanted to be paid as a wide receiver. Debo Samuel wants to be paid as a wide receiver. Part of that too is because he also won't get his career banged up as as much when he is, you know, lining out out wide. Um, Swift, can I, this is going to sound like a dumb answer for me, but I mean, I do dumb answers. Uh, probably give the team a discount. To be honest, like there's nothing. I don't think there's anything he can really do this year that's going to make him. Like what? What I, I guess I guess it kind of goes into the bigger question of who is D, D, uh, DeAndre Swift as far as a running back. Like he's been banged up a few times. He's had like every year. I feel like we kind of wait for him to really take off and be like because this has been multiple offenses that want to be run heavy, Jeremy, and they're not. And Swift is part of the reason why they're not. Be it his availability or inavailability. Yeah, this, I, this is a really good question on, on a lot of levels because it's it's not something that we've talked about a bunch. And part of that is, like, we also have to reiterate, he's still under contract through 2023. So he's got another season after this. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe the question is just, you know, you typically extend a guy near going into a contract year. So it's possible DeAndre Swift gets an extension next year. Um, but Ryan, Brian definitely brings up a good point. Like, what what contract has someone not regretted after giving them? Christian McCaffrey got 16 a year feeling pretty good about that one right now Ezekiel Elliott I saw conversations today on Twitter about how giving Ezekiel Elliott the the contract that they did is handcuffing the, the Cowboys in in so many ways and he might not even be the best running back on that team right now he wasn't their best running back on the team last year that's what yeah. I'm saying Tony I thought Pollard. I thought I thought Pollard was better by the end of the year yeah it's just by nature it's a position that gets injured so much Delvin Cook is another one 
and and he's probably been the closest one to living up to his contract. But he um, still deals just, with a lot of injuries. But he still deals happened, with a lot of injuries. Look what just happened with the Giants last year too. Yeah, like they they got they got production out of a guy like they cut him, and I don't think they should have. But like Saquon Barkley had plenty of time away from the team, and they just went right down the depth chart and didn't miss a beat with whatever Saquon was giving them. So. Yeah, that that's that's one part of this equation. The other part, Chris mentioned it briefly, is like availability with with DeAndre Swift. Like, if if he is going to stick around, he has to show really. I don't think he's going to get an extension next year. I don't think I don't think the Lions would be wise to do that. I think they, that you have to see that play out and, and see how he plays the first two the next two years because we don't know who DeAndre Swift is through his first two years. So get all the information you can possibly get before you start dishing out new contracts. And so he needs to stay as as healthy as a running back could possibly stay over the next few years to even really have in, in be in the conversation because I think next year the Lions are probably drafting a running back. I don't know when they're going to draft a running back, but Jamal Williams's contract runs out. We still don't know what the Lions have in Jamar Jefferson or, or any of the other young guys, Godwin or, or whoever else is in that room. Um, they are very close to not having any answers at their running back room. And unless DeAndre Swift can prove that, and, and the ways he can prove that again, staying healthy. And I don't know, like be a thousand yard rusher back-to-back seasons. That, or just, that, just kind of like a yards from scrimmage guy, right? Like he could be a yeah. monster yards from scrimmage guy in, in the same vein of uh, not, not that they have similar styles by need... any means, but like David Johnson, right? Like sure. he had like a huge he, you know, yards from scrimmage. But team. like, yeah, he, it you have to bump it up to 1500. Like yeah. he has to have back-to-back 1500 years or 1500 yard seasons to me for him to be like let's give this guy a long extension i just need and, a consistent yard. Like, yeah I, I just need a consistent yards per carry out of him like there's some games where he seems to do fairly well and then there's other games where it's like oh great you're getting averaging just shy of two yards per carry yeah guys this is the answer to the question what does swift need to do this season to earn a second contract he needs to be like really mediocre like, I feel like the only way... I, I was going to say that with the discount thing, right? Like, well, kind of, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, he, he needs to, like, have, like, a kind of subpar season that the Lions would just, like, bring him back on a very, like, you know... He can't be too valuable. He can't be too valuable. Yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Because, I mean, you price yourself out in terms of the value, like like Jeremy was mentioning, with all those running backs on their second contract. So, um, second, or, sorry, third question. We're moving along here. Uh, Daniel Junis. Uh I think who is somebody who joins us for our Spotify lives uh, that we do on Saturdays. He asks the question, we talk a lot about player development and taking a step forward. What steps forward should expect, or do you want to see from the coaching staff? Um, I, it jumps right off the page for me. Um, and it got a little bit better at the end of the year, but man, play calling and some of the decisions on late game stuff like what happened where the, the the timeout with Aaron Glenn like that can't happen again <laughs> I'm sorry yeah like I hadn't seen something like that since since uh Jim Schwartz got flagged for throwing a challenge that he didn't have a challenge for I mean on a play he couldn't challenge excuse me like that can't like there, there there's you, you can't have these moments where once again the Lions are discovering the depths of the of the rule book 
And it, can't, it certainly can't come in from, from your coaching staff. And like, look, we, we memes it a lot about run, run pass last year too. Like there just needs to be consistent play calling. And this is going to be Dan Campbell's, you know, Dan Campbell should be, is he still calling plays, Jeremy, or is he going to hand that off to Ben Johnson? He, he has not answered that question yet, but I would very much assume at this point that Ben Johnson's going to take over. Okay. So that's a new play caller again. Sure. So it might, it, it might be a thing where we don't see great play calling until midway through the season. It, it, it takes a while to, to get uh, on that horse and ride it. Um, yeah. But I don't know. Like it's all speculation at this point. So um, I, I want, so I took the, more of this question as who do you expect to maybe take some jumps and kind of mixing in back with the other question about coaching. I think Kelvin Shepard is, is the coach to watch this season. Um, part of it, as we mentioned earlier in the show, like now linebackers are his, all of them lines, as Ryan said, quietly moved on from Mark DeLeon and listen, there's a lot of young talent in that room right now. Uh, and we don't know how good it is. It doesn't look that great on paper. If the Lions take a big step in that linebacking core this year, he should rightfully get a lot of credit for it um, because that's it's it, to me, it feels like the, the house of cards that this defense is currently sitting on. Not, not the linebacker is one of the most important positions or anything like that on this defense, but more so it's just a position that's the most vulnerable to not being good and everything else falling apart around it. So I, I like Kelvin Shepard a lot. I think he, uh, you know, I, I was feet from him during rookie minicamp and I could hear him coaching up these guys and I could hear what he was saying. And I see the players respond to him. I see how the players talk about him to the media. I think he's a rising star in this, in this lines coaching staff and maybe a guy, not this year, not next year, but a guy down the line that could theoretically be a defensive coordinator, because I do think he just, he resonates with, with young players. And that's, that's going to mean a lot this year because the lines have young players at the linebacker room and, Malcolm Rodriguez is going to be the sixth round pick that, that everyone thinks he, he might be as a, as a potential future starter. If Derek Barnes is going to take a year or two jump, it's going to be because of him. So that's, that's where I think we, we might see. And, and, and it's also worth repeating, like this is only his second year as a position coach in the NFL. So he has plenty of room, plenty of room to grow himself. Uh, so I, I imagine he's going to get better at his job as well. Yeah. All right, from Phil B, at Phil B on Twitter. Uh, how real was the ARSB breakout at the end of last year? Was it mostly a function of the number of targets he received, or are there things that show up on tape that make you believe it's repeatable? Chris, you're, you're the, my the leader of the Amon Ross St. Brown. Look, I, there's no denying that he got a massive amount of volume at the end of the year. Like he, he absolutely became the Jared Goff trusted weapon. And I think just by virtue of having shark and Jamison Williams, like those targets are going to go down, but it's what he does with the ball each time. That's going to keep making him uh, like it, that, that's, a, that's a, that what makes I, so it's, it's hard because like what he got at the end of that year was like that, that was a lot. Like it broke a ton of records for the lions right, right away, just because he was getting so much. And again, part of that was the number of the volume he was getting, but even before he kind of had that breakout, he was still getting a lot of, he was still getting a lot of yards in games where I think we were talking about, uh, you know, Jared Goff honing in on a Khalif Raymond for a game or on, or, you know, you're on Reynolds. Like he, he was, he was, he was 
still getting good production in a lot of these other games. So I don't, I, I, th- I think some of it is repeatable, but again, man, like this is a lot more of a crowded locker room. What I'm saying is like his talent wasn't a function of the number of targets, but I think his production because he's not going to be the pro- the wide receiver, the, the de jure or the de facto number one, like the, that number is going to dip. That, that number is just not repeatable. And that in that short amount of time, maybe over the course of a season, you see it, but not in that short amount of time. But I'm not saying that his production, I mean, that his, that his ability itself is a flash in the pan. Yeah, this is interesting because I, I talked about it a little bit in my question of the day over the weekend, which is who, who's going to be the Lions receiver or leading receiver in, in 2022. And if you take that what, six or seven game stretch of Amon Ross St. Brown and you, you average it out to an entire season, I think he'd have like 1600 yards and eight touchdowns or something. crazy. Still like insanely that. good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's not going to happen. No, he I, got I like 120 fair. targets over like, like, I don't remember how many games. Like, right. The, the point I'm trying to make is the production won't be that high this year, but he didn't get that sort of production just because he was the only Lions receiver out there. I think it's right. worth pointing out that of the 119 targets that he got, he caught 90 of them. Seven. That's over 75% of them. That is, that is not a normal number. And, and you, you probably want to say, Oh, well, you know, he's, he's catching a bunch of short passes. He played. I would say it's, it's fair to say he played a role, kind of like Golden Tate did while he was here, right? That is that fair to say? Receiving yards per target, seven point seven. Golden Tate. Golden Tate had a receiving a catch percentage over seventy five percent once in his career. Yeah, Amon Ra did it his rookie year. He did his rookie year. He's getting open. He's making plays after the catch. He's 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 a matchup nightmare. Like they they put him in the backfield a lot, and and. You can say, oh, well, he was their only option. Well, that means he was the only guy the defense needed to cover, and they still couldn't. So, yes, or, yeah. I would say the, there's plenty to take from the end of his season, more so than just they targeted him a lot to say, yes, this guy is very talented. The production is going to go down on a per-play basis, at least during that stretch, but he, I think he's very, very capable of being a 1,000-yard receiver in this league, and I think we're going to see that this year. Yeah, sorry. I'm I'm trying to look up. I, I'm trying to look up the yards per uh, the yards after play for. Um, I mean, yards after completion for Golden Tate. I know for Amon Ra though, like he had like 420 yards after completion, averaging like 4.7 per reception. Golden Tate, um, like, averages. I think trying to figure out what would year that would have been. Whatever. So it, it doesn't. The, yeah. During. Oh no. I. That is going to be okay. Yeah, it only has his 2018 year on my tracker, so right. I'm I'm kind of going in a little it, dumb here. That's but, it's a so so. still that's for, that's for Amon Ra. It's it's so so, but still like it's it's still showing that he's got, you know, it's not going to be like he's a, a flash in the pan. Yeah, he's he makes plays. Okay, all right, sounds good. I'm on Ross St. Brown, a guy who makes plays. Uh, between the numbers, Anthony at BTW, the numbers on Twitter asks, we saw Stafford mature as a quarterback over the course of a decade to become what he is today. Do you see a future where Jared Goff matures into a confident, reliable quarterback who realizes his number one overall pick potential? And then 
not only does he ask that question, but he asks, can Jared Goff be 2016 Matt Ryan, a.k.a. one of the greatest quarterback seasons in the history of the game of football? Hey, I mean, first off, that last part, no. Just no. Lofty expectations, because I think that Matt Ryan is a much more talented quarterback than Jared Goff. Yeah, this is it's an interesting question because I feel like there's and we talked about it a little bit already. Like we talked about who is Jared Goff and all that sort of stuff. And part of it is I get it. Like I get everyone sees that Super Bowl year, it sees the back-to-back Pro Bowls in, in Los Angeles and says, why can't we just get there? He's still a young quarterback. The reason why I don't think he will, and the reason why I don't think it's fair to compare him to Matthew Stafford is I don't know what Jared Goff's superpower is. <laughs> I know what Matthew Stafford's superpower is. He's got a hell of an arm and a gunslinger mentality. And you put those two together with a offensive mind that loves the gunslinger mentality and it works. I don't know what Jared Goff's superpower is. I don't know what you lean into to make him not only a good quarterback, but a dangerous quarterback. Because I, I, I think we, we've said it plenty of times on this podcast. I don't know if the Lions can win because of Jared Goff, but they could potentially win with Jared Goff. His the, super... Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I'm, I was going to say, his, his superpower is efficiency, but that's not really much of a superpower because plenty of quarterbacks on that second tier can be efficient too. Like it's It's something... Efficiency is kind of marginally easy taught, but also at the same time, like he still gets hit a lot. Well, there's still there's also of... the question that exists with quarterbacks right now is like that efficiency, like, does it come at a cost? You know what I mean? Right. Like there's, there's been talk about like, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, you know, dropped his interception totals so low, but at what cost? Right. You know I mean, and like I... there's that fine balance you need to ride between the gunslinger mentality and the super, you know, cautious quarterback. And I always brought this up with Stafford. Like I, I, again, just another podcast of like, I brought this up with Stafford is like Stafford is kind of that pre-efficiency pre Tom Brady mentality that other quarterbacks used to have who were gunslingers. But there was a point where in our pop, I think a lot of the criticism to Stafford was because by the time Stafford was playing, we had already decided that interceptions were the devil. Like you don't like the idea, like for most gunslingers back in the day, like you could get away with that because yeah, you'd have a few interceptions, but you'd put up a crap load of yards. But suddenly we entered in this age where turning the ball over even once was grounds for calling you a bad quarterback in the national media after a game. Like, especially if it was done in a high stakes situation. So, and when it comes to Stafford too, about that idea of him maturing, I still hold that. Look, I, I don't part of Stafford was that he worked with a lot of different staffs over his career. And I still think that his time with with um, Jim Caldwell and Jim Caldwell's staff, he made amazing strides. I don't think that happens with everyone, though. I feel like we know more about who Jared Goff is right now than we knew what Stafford was pre 2016. I yeah. just hate, I hate to call him like, I'm not saying he's bad. It's just, he, he's, he's got a much lower ceiling than Stafford. Well, so I, I just want to ask a follow-up question because I think this is our, our last question. We can end on this one, but like yeah. when it comes to Jared Goff and I like Jeremy pointing out that like, it doesn't seem like Jared Goff has much of a superpower. 
like what is his kryptonite at this point and like how badly does he need to overcome that getting rushed man getting rushed and falling back and trying to scramble away please stop doing that it's it's definitely annoying i mean my my thing is just like i need him to see the field better i don't think his his vision was particularly good in the past three years and we complained about it during all like here's the thing that I think we're glossing over of the 2021 season. We're saying, Oh, Jared Goff didn't have the receivers. So no wonder he didn't throw it deep, but there were plenty, plenty of times where we would actually look at the play and be like, you know what? He could have taken a shot there. Probably should have taken a shot there. Didn't take a shot there. Yeah. So many plays where Trinity Benson is wide open and he just, I don't know about Trinity Benson. (laughs) Oh, not not Trinity. I don't don't know, but like either way, he, he, he definitely, He, he goes for comfort blankets very quickly. Right. So there, there's something that draws the, the line between your point, Jeremy, and your point, Chris. And I think it's decision-making under pressure. Sure. Like decision-making under pressure is where Jared Goff, like even stuff that didn't show up on the box score, right? Like throwing the ball away on fourth down. Like when like pressure is at its highest, like what was Jared Goff doing in terms of making decisions? The, the Los Angeles Rams game, you know? Yeah. Like, like when, when, and that was, that was to the point though, Jeremy, where like that interception is where he's trying to fit it in a tight window to TJ Hawkinson on a throw that he shouldn't make because he can't make it. But right. like you're pointing out, right? Like, I mean, there were plays where it's like, oh yeah, Jared Goff didn't have anything open. And upon further review, yes, there was something that was open. Yeah. I think that's the key difference between Stafford and Jared Goff. When, when Stafford is under pressure, he's going to find the place where he can throw the ball to do the most damage just to try to make something out of nothing on that play. Jared Goff, when he's under pressure, he's going to try to be efficient and dump it off. Yeah. If you can call that efficiency, I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't I, call I, I don't, a, I don't a four either, yard but pass on third and 13. That's three yard behind Elias. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I'm just saying like, that's, that's kind right. of the lay, the lie well, it's, of it's risk averse. Yeah. It's yeah. risk averse. And here's the problem though. Jared Goff being risk averse has not led to fewer turnovers. He's been, a, he's been a, he through 16 interceptions with the Rams one year he threw eight last year with the Lions, but had, you know, how many more fumbles. If, if right. you're going to play the safe game, you can't turn the ball over. You, you just, you can't do both um, because the whole point of playing a safe game is to not turn the ball over. So that, I think that's another aspect of the game. He's got to cut the turnovers down. And I think that that comes into reading defenses. It comes into reading pressure, all these things. And, and that like, how long is our list now of things that Jared Goff needs to improve on? That's why I'm not sure his, his ceiling lays with one of the greatest MVP seasons of all time. Yeah, it, Stafford, yeah. our list was basically like, he just needs to be more careful with the ball. Yeah. I think that's it. We're done. Somehow we went long again um, because this is the off season and we just keep finding ways to keep talking. So thank you everyone for listening to the pride of Detroit POD cast. we got plenty more coming this week. Who's on first by Jeremy. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the tight end. We don't have a, a guest yet, but uh, it'll be there. The tight end. I, James I always Mitchell. forget his name. James Mitchell. Thank you. James Mitchell. We've been talking James Mitchell on this what on the this week's first bite. Should have uh, Spotify Live as always with Ryan, Jeremy, and Eric, and much more. So make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're watching us on Twitch. We're out of here for myself, for Jeremy, for Ryan. 
We'll see you star side. to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. First thing in the morning, as soon as you wake up, the to-do list starts. Does the car need gas? Hopefully those leftovers are still good. Why did I get CC'd on mom? <laughs> no. You can't escape the to-do list, but you can make the most of your me time with a relaxing shower using Method Hair Care products. Try Pure Peace Volumizing, Simply Nourish Moisturizing, or Daily Zen Shampoo and Conditioner for daily use. All formulated with long-lasting fragrances and are safe for color-treated hair. Reconnect with the best version of yourself. Visit methodproducts.com to unleash your inner shower.